Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're covering some fancy financial footwork with Saba's Mickey Ashmore and High Beam's Samir Shergill. Mickey started Saba with a simple goal, bring the timeless handmade craftsmanship of small town Turkey to quality shoe lovers everywhere, one pair at a time. Now this podcast dives deep on Mickey's journey from his beginnings as a finance bro to selling out his first pop-up in Brooklyn to bootstrapping to a multi-eight-figure business, all with a little help from his friend Samir at Highbeam. Highbeam is banking built to help e-commerce people, and this chat really nails some of the critical financial aspects of growth that we just don't talk about on this pod enough. Early in the podcast, Mickey nails the reason he got into this business in the first place, independence to do what he wants and grow his business how he wants to. And this podcast, you'll learn how having a firm grip on the banking side of your business can be a huge unlock. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope it helps you reframe your thinking on how helpful having a good banker in your corner can be. On with the show. We lived through a period of 0% interest rates, which means cheap capital available and pandemic-fueled growth in D2C. So in some ways, you didn't have to worry about it. You could take the cash at whatever price it was, convert it into sales, and still the model would work now it's become much more of an existential question. Can you afford the rate that you're being charged for this given that sales are not growing at the rate they used to be and the money's gotten more expensive? You have to be more thoughtful about what is the cost of capital? Who am I taking it from? And what do I really need it for? And so that's where you have to set up more of a strategy of what am I doing and why? It's a tough landscape out there. and Being thoughtful about those things is more important than ever. Mickey, Samir, thank you guys so much for coming on the D2C podcast. Mickey, I'm a huge fan of Saba footwear. Can you give me the why as to why you built Saba? I built Saba, um, you know, I wanted to express myself and I wanted to live independently. You know, my, ma- my main motivation was independence. I wanted to uh, yeah, do my own thing and, and, and put my expression out to the world. And then how did you come across this amazing, unique product? You know, basically the, the origin of the brand was I, out of college, I lived in Istanbul. I worked for Microsoft there as an expat. And uh, a couple of years into living there, I was gifted a pair of traditional Turkish slippers, which are the inspiration for Saba's. They're hand-stitched in a certain way and using a, like local Turkish leather and a buffalo sole, which is a, a leather not found in shoes commonly anymore. And I got this pair of shoes and loved them. A year later, having moved back to New York and wearing them around the city, I had destroyed the shoes and also just loved them and I wanted another pair. So I got in touch with the man that had made them. His name was Orhan and his family's been making shoes for 150 years since the mid 1800s and asked him to make me a fresh pair, but with a few changes. And that was really the beginning of Saba. It wasn't intended as a business. It was just for me personally, but that pair led to more pairs and led to pairs for friends. And then I was like, you know what? I think we could build a business out of this. And and here we are 10 years later, still making 90% of our footwear with Orhan and his family, by the way. That's unreal. And how did you sell them? Like who, where, where did you initially get, like find the demand for the shoe besides you knowing they're awesome? Word of mouth. I, the, the first, I received my first shipment of Sabas in, in June of 2013. And within a week I, I hosted a party at my house. I had this little house that had a, a door on the street. And uh, I invited literally everyone I'd ever met that lived in New York and said, come over. I'm having, I'd already, I'd always like to host. So I said, I'm hosting a party. And by the way, I'm going to be selling these shoes on the side. And I think that day I sold 40 pairs. So I was like, 
this is cool. This is fun. And it was a blast. And I love telling the story of the shoes. And I, I lived in Turkey for a while before that I spoke Turkish. I felt really connected to the culture and the, and the place. And so it was exciting also to like, you know, yes, at the very beginning about my inspiration part was also, I wanted to do business globally. Like I loved the idea of this global commerce. And, and so it was just, uh, you know, it was just uh, something fun at first. You, you mentioned something that doesn't get mentioned enough, I think, on the podcast in terms of your motivation as to why you're working as hard as you have. Like all of our listeners who are building D2C brands are, you said about making yourself independent, but making giving yourself freedom to, to like live how you want. I'm curious, how has that affected the way you've thought about growing this business over the last, what is it, eight years or so? Well, um, it's a good question. I mean, I'd say that from the beginning, I've really followed my, my intuition and I've, and I've, you know, I've never had necessarily, I mean, now we have goals and things, but my goals were always really to hold true to values. And I thought about my business in a very long-term sense. I'd come from a background in a, a bit of investing in finance. And so I also decided I didn't want to raise money because I wanted to build something for myself and something that I could really control and where I could have my, you know, really express myself through my business and make decisions that I thought were best. And, uh, and, you know, that's, that's been a big part of our brand is keeping it independent, um, and, and growing slowly. And I always said, you know, I have my very first business plan I ever wrote and it, it wrote, you know, one of the things I said was my goal is to just build a strong recurring customer base at shops of this year after year. It wasn't about, you know, I, I was focusing at the term is retention. Like I was a focus on building loyal customers, not just acquiring new. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part of like independence and, and living that living that through. And it's a choice of product market fit as well, right? You're literally selling a product that people have been wearing for shortly after humans started like domesticating animals or <laughs> something, right? Like it's a thousand year old kind of product right. in some ways. Um, and so building for the long term is obviously a good fit. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's interesting. These shoes, when I started Saba 10 years ago, no one in Turkey was wearing the traditional shoes anymore, like in like commonly. You know, it was really like a bit of a relic of the past, something sold to tourists, maybe something worn at home. The place we make our shoes is near the Syrian border, far southeast of Turkey. So it's really quite a far cry from Istanbul and the Turkey a lot of people know. So it wasn't something that had been worn. So, you know, part of what's been beautiful about building Saba is kind of reviving this craft, bringing new light to it, elevating and amplifying it, and then getting to like, you know, we've gone from being three or four craftspeople in Turkey to now almost 50 um, and we're a mix of Turkish and Syrian craftspeople. We've also opened a small factory in El Paso, Texas. We're working with boot makers to make shoes. And so it's really been partly and unintentionally craft revival um, at the same time. Are the shoes leather sold or rubber sold? The traditional shoe has a buffalo leather sole. Our shoe still has that. But on top of it, we put a rubber outsole that can be replaced. So part of the idea of a Saba is you get a pair. They form to your feet. They age beautifully. They get better and better looking with wear. And then they can be resold. We have our own resoling service we opened a few years ago or started a few years ago where you can send them in and for 50 bucks. They're like resold, cleaned, conditioned, recolored if they need to be, you know, we can fix and so allow them to really live on. So we have customers. I mean, my very first customer, one of them, his name is Jonas Barre, and he loves to text me every year his polished Sabas from 10 years ago. Amazing. They're, they become heirlooms. I'm looking forward to it. I'm grabbing a pair yeah, after yeah. this call. They, yeah, I mean, you know, and of course... I think one of the things that's about about a product that's well made and that lasts, it also does require care. Like, you know, you, you buy a really nice car to make it last and drive well for 20 years. You got to ma- maintain it. 
And so Saba's, you know, they don't have to maintain. You can wear the heck out of them for four or five years and they're going to be just fine. But if you do it with a little maintenance, it can go a long way. So that's the resong and conditioning part. So let's let's bring Samir into the conversation here. How did you meet Samir? And yeah, how did your how did your initial relationship sort of begin? Samir and I were introduced by a mutual friend, a guy named Adonis, uh, who's a Greek guy that uh, Samir had worked with prior. And you know, Adonis knows has also been around my business since the beginning of when it started and understood like the values with which I was building it, that I was independently owned. You know, that I was, of course, wanting to grow my business, but I had maybe some other values that were equally as important. And when he heard about what Samir was building, I think he thought, oh, this is a good union of brains. Like, this is a person, Samir, that's trying to build something that very much will speak to Mickey and what he's built and trying to do. You know, and I think Adonis was a friend, one of my business buddies, you know, he's a friend and someone I talk about business with a lot. So I would also have been kind of bemoaning certain aspects of my business and, you know, finance and cash flow and just like, trying to, you know, bootstrapping something's hard. And I think he thought, oh, well, you know, my buddy Samir is trying to help solve that actually, or, you know, it has an idea around it. So we got connected really just to ideate and talk. And, uh, it's like the part of what, when I was meeting Mickey and what I love is the energy and you can tell, you know, it's almost like all these brand founders, like when they talk about their customers or their product and their eyes light up and you can see the energy. And then you see Mickey like, and I had like these finance issues. There's like this, this is kind of like down here and it's understandable because, you know, Mickey built this amazing business from a place of authenticity and he's passionate about his customers and his product. And the reality is though, and you know, what we found was that the financial foundation is actually essential to this business because in order to scale sustainably, you do have to manage your cash flow. You do have to make smart decisions. You have to do these things, which in some ways, is not the core motivation for why we started the business. So our mission at Highbeam was a lot around, can we kind of work with Empower the Mickeys of the world to say, like, let us partner with you to help really build sustainable long-term businesses to help you bring this to life. And we just felt that there was this huge gap where there were no real partners from the standpoint of that were operating in their best interest to help them grow and scale and make these visions come to life. And that was why... We're fortunate enough to meet Mickey when we were relatively early on. This is 2021. And so we were like, you know, Mickey was kind enough to trust us when we were still building a lot of the tools. And he's really been a partner to help us say, how can we build things that will actually help you scale this business? And that's why we've been kind of fortunate to grow and build high beam and concert with Saba and other brands together. Samir, can you walk me through, and I, I, you can chime in on this with your personal experience about it after Mickey, explain to me a little bit. I've never taken funds myself. Uh, we've bootstrapped uh, D2C so far. Explain to me a little bit about the landscape of what um, banking for D2C businesses was like previously to you guys and then what you're looking to innovate specifically. It's a great question. So I think that most brand founders, they have to kind of cobble together their finance stack from like a legacy bank like a JP Morgan or Bank of America an accounting firm that sends them a balance sheet or, you know, a profit and loss statement. And they have this like random spreadsheet and they try to put together really core questions that are fundamental to running the business. Like how much can I afford to spend on inventory? How much can I afford to spend on marketing? Can I afford to hire two more people? Like these are existential questions for the business that we believe your bank should help you answer and solve. So by focusing squarely on online brands and omnichannel brands, we're trying to answer those questions and say things like, how can we as your banking partner build tools or relationship to help you manage your cash flow and really operate in your best interest? What does that mean? It means things like 
rather than taking you know a one-time cash advance, which is a very popular product in e-commerce, where the lender sends you $100 and you pay back $105, let's build a plan for the capital you need and let's really set you up with a line of credit so that you can actually only use the money when you need it. Let's do things like you know, set up a 4% interest account so that you actually make money when you do get it comes in the door. And these are things that you're busy, don't think of, but how do we make it all in one kind of product that's really designed for your needs? And that was the essence of what we've tried to build. And that's kind of what our, for us, success is that people like Mickey got to trust us with helping run and manage his business. And in some ways, that was the essence of what banking used to be, right? Like you had trust and faith in the relationship with your your banker and you actually they helped you grow and build the business. In a lot of cases, that's right. Yeah. And so that I feel like that's gone away and we're trying to bring that back to life through kind of things that we built. Which which really appealed to me because I, my whole thing is about relationships and I think of Saba as like an old world brand. You know, we're like we didn't have a website for the first three years. We had to buy shoes in person. We we've been built on relationships. And so to me like being able to text, call, email, consult my banker, meet him for lunch, you know, get to like work with the bank in that way was so appealing uh, on a personal level and on a service level, which moves me a lot, especially when you have you know, all the relationships I have with my banks before were like gatekeeper and or just very impersonal, you know, and, and so it's, 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 I think finance, you know, I have a finance background. So I'm, and I'm, I think all things considered, we've done a pretty good job with our business financially, but even then, it's extremely intimidating, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and that's scary. So, having a banker to call, or you know, a financial partner to call and say, "Can we talk this through?" and it can even just put peace, gives you peace of mind. It's so powerful. Just in terms of in funding right now, the landscape has probably shifted quite a bit in in the last couple of years. Like when you've got a lot of, of brands that that are you know, or a lot of the the lending brands offering cash up front for, for payment, you know, kind of due to the nature of D to C like almost right away because you've got sales coming in, you're starting to pay back. My question is like, has the landscape shifted enough that brands really need, need to start becoming smarter about how and when they take money? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll give you my point of view and Mickey can kind of give you the practitioner's answer as well. I think that we lived through a period of 0% interest rates, which means cheap capital available and kind of a pandemic-fueled increase in growth in D2C. And so in some ways, you didn't have to worry about it because you could take the cash at whatever price it was and convert it into sales, and you would still, the model would work. It was inefficient. Maybe you're spending a little bit more than you thought, but it still worked. I think now in a high interest rate environment, it's become much more of an existential question, which is, can you afford the rate that you're being charged for this, given that sales are not growing at the rate they used to be and the money's got more expensive? And so what that means is, you know, that cash advance that was a 20% APR, which is like the overall interest rate that you would pay on it. Now it's a 40% APR. And a lot of times the return you're getting on that capital isn't what it used to be. So the kind of the, those two things coming together means that we try to tell you know, brands, be very careful about why you're taking the cash and be sure that you can actually pay this back and not just get on a debt treadmill where you're just kicking the can down the road and three months later, you're going to have to take another bigger loan and all of your profits that have to go into growing the business are now going, now going to debt providers. And so before the pie was large enough that you could get away with it and even if 50% of the money was going to debt, you're like, I can still grow the business. That's just no longer true. And so I think you have to be more thoughtful about what is the cost of capital? 
Who am I taking it from? And what do I really need it for? And so that's where we believe like you have to set up more of a strategy of what am I doing and why. Um, and I think the the people that were lending for these cash advance like products, they've in many cases have ratcheted up the rates or kind of pulled the rug out from under brands in terms of like, oh, you used to have a hundred thousand dollars offer, now you have a fifty thousand dollar offer or whatever it might be. So it's a tough landscape out there. And so I think that being thoughtful about those things is more important than ever. And the last thing I'll say is like, traditionally, most banks would not lend to online brands. They were, didn't understand them. They're not kind of like quick enough. Like you go to Bank of America and you ask for a loan. It just doesn't work. So there were all these specialty e-commerce lenders that had a cash advance product that was simple on the surface, you know, but behind the scenes actually ended up being quite expensive. So I feel like those lenders still exist, but they're not always operating in the best interest of the long-term success of the brand. And that's really what we've seen as the change in the last couple of years. They're still operating in their model, right? They're still operating in the model that was popularized during the boom. And so they haven't maybe notified all their potential clients that the model isn't quite as effective as it was at these interest rates, right? Right. Yeah, well, I don't want you to know that. It's it's pretty <laughs> hidden. Yeah. Right. And from the brand's perspective, it's just like, oh, I'm getting a little bit less money and it seems like the fee's gone up a little bit, but I guess that's still right. And, you know, it's just on the margin. They're smart enough to always have and make their return. The person that's going to get squeezed is the brand, not the debt provider. They will do fine. They'll figure out their underwriting model. You have to think about it from the, I have a couple, a few comments. One, from the perspective of the brand owner, the entrepreneur, you're usually going to these people because you're desperate, right? You're like, I have generally, right? Or you have some big plans and you want to fund it. But if you have time and plans, then there's a lot of smarter ways to fund a business. But generally you're like, hey, I got six weeks of cash left. I'm going into my low season. I got to build for, you know, I got to pay payroll, you know, and and like, what's the quickest way to bring $450,000 into my business? Well, it's these things and it's expensive, but you know, money now and secure, you know, giving you like that next, you know, you kind of hope you're going to get off the treadmill. Like, I'm just going to patch this now and believe in the future, which we all, you know, any entrepreneur is super optimistic, but then you get stuck on the treadmill that Samir talks about. That's so I think that those providers, you know, like, I don't think that they're, 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 they're trying to do good in some ways, you know, but I think it's just like, you know, it's like they're evil, but I think it's like anybody looks at it, realizes it's not the best way to fund a business and they're taking advantage and or, taking advantage of the situation of people running out of money and needing money quick. The second thing I'll say about the landscape is I think a lot of people understood growth at all costs isn't that interesting anymore. And profitability is on a business level, first of all, like a bunch of companies grew at all costs, were never profitable, you know, IPO tried to sell, et cetera, and had kind of average outcomes, despite seeming to be very successful companies that we all admired. There's that case. There's also the like, fact of I raised a bunch of money and I'm stressed to the max because I'm trying to grow it really fast and fund a thing that's not making money. And like, that's not very fun at some level. Like, I don't know, like at these other people's expectations. So you lose right. your independence, that feeling of independence yeah. as well. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, that's a game, right? Or that's like an approach and Hey, if you want to play that game, play it. But I think more people are now interested in like, Hey, what's the game of like, I set out to build a beautiful business. I set out to service customers. I set out to express myself I set out to, to build something healthy on the inside. And that doesn't, maybe that means next year I grow 12% or 14% or 0%, but I'm profitable and I'm, and I'm sane and I'm a great boss and we have an awesome internal culture because we're not jamming people to work 18 hours a day. 
whatever. And like that shift kind of also pairs very well with what Singer is doing because he's offering like the friendly, responsible, transparent, like kind, like, you know, business friendly version of this. Aligned. Truly aligned, aligned, right? right? Which is the way new business models thrive. Yeah. And like, you know, you know, one thing I've been thinking about is like, you know, and this is, an, we don't have to go for the same, but like, is there really anything in your life that you want to be huge? Like as the, is the pure goal of it? Like, I can't think of anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, but yeah. you know, I can't think of a lot of things and like, you just want to be bigger. Like, you know, you want it to be yeah. better. You want it to be more fun. You want it to be more meaningful. You want it to be more beautiful, you know, but it's not really always about scale anymore. And I think there's also a shift. It's like, is scale the always have to be the default goal? So, um, you know, you know, is success scale only? No, it can be a lot of things. So I think Samir's business can help you scale. If you're, if scales, your goal can help you scale for sure. If your goal is profitability, it can help you be profitable and help you do both. And that's really cool. And been the case for me. Can you give me an example, Mickey, of a way that, um, that high beam has that part of their service, like specifically has unlocked, uh, either a kind of growth or a new mindset or more profitability for you? Yeah. I mean, the simplest one is when I first met Samir, I was considering different ways of funding. Like my business every spring, like every winter kind of like goes into a low period before the spring and we're producing a lot. We're generally pretty tight on cash and we, it's nice to get a little infusion and I've done different things. Sometimes I'm able to get through it by bare knuckling. Sometimes we've had a, you know, we're able to get through it without bare knuckling. And often it's like, I need some kind of help to get from January to May. And so Samir helped me analyze all my options and really understand the cost of capital and actually high beam extended a line of credit to me that was the cheapest the easiest to work with and you know and sits right within my bank so like really effective and again like doesn't have to be paid back like all the other ones if i took the line of credit on jan 15 or the cash advance on jan 15 i started paying it on jan 16. well the high beams offer get the money on jan 15 and you kind of pay it back when you need to when you can you know, of course there's interest and things on it, but it's just like more classic. And that's a great example, you know, and and helping me understand that and not pushing it on me, by the way, it's like, Hey, here's your, here's your menu of options. And here's how we're great. Here's some of the other ones could make sense. And it's often a combination of things, you know, I was going to say, I was just talking with a friend of mine at Bushbaum and he was talking about uh, taking a loan from the Canadian uh, business development bank. And as a Canadian to me, I'm wondering if like, cause it sounds like that's actually a pretty decent option when you have the time, uh, like it's, you know, as a Canadian did working in a country where we've got uh, products like that inform how you've built uh, high beam. It has. And it's, it's actually a great point because we believe that we want our brands to get the cheapest form of capital for their needs in that moment. So we recommend actually to work with all of our brands to say, like, can you get a small business loan? Because that's the cheapest capital you can get. So like, go apply for that and get the 5%, 7% term loan. And we'll fit that into the credit stack because there's a huge place for that. That is the cheapest money you're going to get. Go get that. And that's where we want to build really a strategy. So kind of what, what Mickey was talking about, our approach really is rather than like, here's $100, here's 110 back. Like, let's build a plan for why you need the money, where you can get it, what timing needs to be. There's... If you're taking money, for example, to open a new store, that's not going to pay back in three months. You probably need a different source of funding for that than you need for, I need a marketing advance that's going to be paying back in 60 days. So it's a little bit of a more involved process. We're not transactional, but like that's where we try to work to understand what are you trying to do and how do we line up the right sources of funding, even if it's not us, with that. 
And the reason we do that is because really at our core, we're a banking partnership and relationship. The funding is, you know, a key feature of that, but that's really the hope in which we can build something where you can feel more in control. I think that a lot of times, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with say they're really good at managing the top line and they kind of run on intuition on the bottom line in some ways. And so how do we kind of unpack that a little and help them get more comfortable and confident with the choices they're making? And I think that just to bring it back to what you were saying earlier, I think a lot of times when people are under the gun and you have a supplier payment you have to make and you have to take $100,000 from whoever's giving it to you, that's tough, but that I understand why. But how do we make sure we don't get in that space the next time around? Very cool. So what are the brands, like obviously uh, Saba, like with with your awesome background, your slow growth, all, all this awesome stuff, who, like who in our listener base are the people that will get the most value out of Highbeam, would you say, Samir? It's it's two, two main, so for anyone less than probably a, up to like a million dollars of revenue, if you're still figuring out, do I have a product that someone wants to buy and that's your core problem, then you, we're probably not necessarily the best match at that point. But the moment you hit maybe that 500000 or a million dollars of sales and now want to scale, at that point, we're probably a good match to say, let's build a plan together, especially for people who are bootstrap founders or have not taken venture money and are like themselves, it's their business, they own this business, it's their passion and joy, like... How do we help those people who don't have access necessarily to a venture-funded analyst from the VC firm or whatever it might be? Like that's really our what makes me kind of excited about working with. And so, you know, Mickey obviously falls squarely in that. Um, but that's sort of the probably the profile of the brand operator, founder, owner that we work kind of most successfully with. And then uh, on the Saba side, there, Mickey, what are what are your goals? You, we, we talked a little bit about growth and, and thinking about it a little bit differently. How do you how do you talk about your goals in twenty twenty three with Saba? You know, I think um, it's a good question. I, uh, for us, um, this year is around clarity and mastery. So we've grown a nice business. We've been in business for ten years. You know, it's a nice sized company now, and I think we've been growing and running and like playing a lot of catch up and. We weren't even growing intentionally and just like we we're doing good work and growth happens, you know, we're like, okay, here we are. You know, we got six stores, we have an online business, we have an office, you know, we have, you know, 40 or something. So odd employees, it's like, how do we, you know, for the next 10 years, like have a really great foundation to grow off of, or to just continue forward with whether, you know, this year we decided like our goal is not growth. If growth happens, great. But our goal is let's be profitable. We've been profitable. Let's like maximize those profits. Let's get really smart about how we want to run our business. Let's get really good insights into how we analyze the company. Let's, you know, a big thing for us in the last year has been let's be really healthy on the inside. Like we had, you know, last year we offered like the best benefits we could possibly offer to the company. We started really bringing in like structure around people that makes people are happy and growing and feeling awesome. And I think we'd already been doing that intuitively. Like we're a family business. So it's like, but we're like, how do we formalize some of those programs? You know, right now we're we're talking with the IRC around, you know, how we can hire from the refugee community that's in the United States and provide jobs. Like, how can we use this platform in a way that's enriching, not just in a financial sense, but like in like all of our lives? Like Saba is all about people. You know, our company is incredibly diverse and we all really love each other. You know, uh, not to say there's not occasionally conflicts and things, but like it's a really it's like you know, how do we just continue to foster that? And like, it's a lot of responsibility. It's not about growth at this point as much. Can you talk to me a little bit about your operations in Turkey and how that sort of expanded as you've grown? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's an interesting time and interesting question because we've, we make our shoes in Gaziantep, Turkey. That's about 40 miles from the Syrian border in Southeast Turkey. And it's the epicenter of this earthquake that just happened last Monday at 4 a.m. in Turkey time. And I'd left there two days before. So it's an incredibly difficult time there. And, you know, we've started the business. We were four or five folks in the workshop and now we're close to 50 people and and families and then of course a network of folks that support what we do and um you know Gaziantep's the city i've spent the most time of my life outside of places i've lived and it's truly like you know the the son of the owner of the workshop i met him when he was 14 or 15 he's now 25 he's like we call each other the brother we neither of us have brothers so we're like the brothers we never had you know and so it's it's a really tight relationship and um you know, I think I spent a lot of time in our production facility. I spent a lot of time eating and talking and sharing, going to the homes. And like, it's, it's really like a, a store, you know, craft by hand is really a human thing. And so we've really tried to bring humanity to it and share. And, and, and it's like, yeah, we make a great pair of shoes, but it's these great people behind it and this great culture behind it as well. And, um, you know, I don't remember what the initial question was, but, uh, <laughs> but. I think yeah. that's it. You, you really, you just talked about it and like the impact that you're having there, right? Like the impact that you're like, I think that's why we get into a lot of the businesses we have. Like for me, I love, love seeing people hire, see, see, love being able to pay people a great wage and having them earn it and you know, all of that. And I imagine, yeah, like growing out that business in Turkey, it's gotta be pretty, pretty rewarding as well. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it all goes with this long-term focus, right? Like making great shoes, you're doing anything with a long-term focus well requires great people behind it, whether that's how we run our stores, how we run our customer service, and how we make our products. And people need to feel positive, well taken care of, you know, like they have opportunity ahead of them, you know, like they're, they have a meaningful place to work. And I think we've tried to do that in all these different, you know, locations. And I think it's also important to realize it's mutual, right? Like my success is their success and their success is my success. And sure we've provided a lot for our workshop in turkey but they provided just as much for me you know it's really it goes both ways i mean it's a partnership and uh it's been a really beautiful one and probably like it's a pretty amazing uh it's been a you know i never would have imagined i'd be making shoes in gaziantep turkey for the last 10 years but and i always like i get there and i'm like i can't believe i'm here like doing this it's crazy you know Eating a pomegranate off the tree. I really want to go to Turkey. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to find my way there. I want to go to Gobekli Tepe. Have you heard of Gobekli yes, Tepe? Yes, very, huge... very close to where you make our shoes, the archaeological site. Yeah, um, nice. Well, yeah. we'll go into crypto archaeology on the next podcast. Okay. Uh, Samir, any any final words for people out there You know, in the boat of, a, of an early Mickey uh, looking at, at maybe storm clouds ahead and wondering maybe now is the time to kind of you know work more closely with their bank? Yeah, I, I think that from what we've seen is, you know, what's the analogy? Don't not, hiding your head in the sand is not the right analogy, but like, I think there's one, there's light at the end of all of this. Like, I think for people that are building businesses that are their passion, their joy, their selling things people want, like the impact they're having on the world. Like, you know, there's a world in which Mickey was a Microsoft analyst instead of like doing what he's doing. And there's a genuine value in what he's building and driving towards. And I think that, if you're in that boat and things seem a little bit like uncertain, maybe the sales are a little bit down or interest rates have gone up or cash might be tight. Like one is I think just try to get, you know, a big picture view on what is possible. What are you doing? What are the tough decisions you have to make? Like go stick your head in the sand and hope for the best because there is a good outcome possible here if you make the right decisions now. But my advice is like, there probably are some decisions you have to make and, you know, don't hide from them. Make those decisions. Like that might be you have to cut certain costs. 
you can't solve that problem with just get taking on debt, you know. So face those decisions kind of like make sure that you set up a structure in which you're comfortable and confident. You feel like you understand what's going on. It's like you understand how much money is coming in, how much money is going out. Just like I think don't operate purely on intuition because it's tough to do that over the next three to six months, especially in the kind of macroeconomic environment we are. Um, that's usually my advice. And then, yeah, work with, you know, a banking partner, a financial partner that you trust and that you can actually work with to get that advice. And that's usually what we recommend. And that's what we've been fortunate enough to do. So if you're in the audience uh, and this sounds like you, you go to highbeam.co. Uh, also, could they just send you an email? What's your email, Samir? Yeah, please. Uh, Samir, S-A-M-I-R at highbeam.co. I try to still work with every customer, talk to them directly. It's getting harder and harder as you scale, but uh, please shoot me a line directly uh, and always happy to hear from uh, your audience. If you want to wear updated legacy Turkish amazing shoes, like I'm going to be in a couple weeks from the point at which I ordered them this afternoon. What's the, it's Saba.am, right? Yeah, Saba.am. AM means, Saba means the morning time and AM PM. Saba.com was taken. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, I saw Saba was the morning because they, because they kind of originated as slippers, right? Right. Amen. I mean, I picked the word Saba. I like the morning time. So, you know, it all kind yeah. of made sense to me. So It's yeah. a great name. Yeah, so Saba.am, yeah. And we have six stores, so we love seeing people in real life. That's where I think everything really comes comes alive. So, and uh, and I think uh, if I can offer anybody a piece of advice, it would be definitely to check out High Beam, even if you think you don't need to, because I learned a lot and gained a lot from it that I didn't even imagine. And I I uh, you know for a long time I, mean, I paid a lot of attention to our finances, but sort of like focused on selling my way through problems. And I think I'm understanding there's a lot of other ways to run a biz that that can involve focusing on that bottom half and and optimizing that that are just really freeing. So really a, a worthwhile call and check in at the very least. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.